Welcome to Friendship News Hour, presented to you by Bummer Nude Media. Today is August the 16th, 2023. My name is Frank. His name is Alex. Hello. Taylor Swift is going to gross a billion dollars for her era store. What the fuck? One billion. She's stimulating economies over here. Seriously. Uh, I read something that she's like legitimately stimulating the economy in Los Angeles for her shows at SoFi Stadium. Like legitimate, there's an economic impact from her being in Los Angeles for that wow. many shows. Um, I still refuse to believe that that many people like her that much. I was, yeah, I was gonna say, man, I, I see, like our our era, our generation, like she hit at the perfect time. We we're like a lot of people our age were like in, you know, high school, college, and she kind of blew the fuck up, kind of like, I guess you would say the song of the generation, songbird of the generation for many females our say. age. As she's grown, it's, it's, or as the time has passed, it seems like her fans have just become more and more into her. And like, obviously her music's changed and stuff, but I, I've heard people, I was playing pickleball with my sister not too long ago. And someone said like, she is the best songwriter ever. And I'm just like, there's a lot of four chord songs there. Like I get that she she can touch she touches your nerve or whatever, and she she speaks to you. But hold on, let's slow that down a little bit. I, I think definitely she's better than than some people give her credit for. Right? She's not sure. just a pop star. She's got a lot of talent. But I don't know if you like if you look at the the like the top grossing tours right now, uh, mm-hmm. or like the highest ticket prices for artists. It's all like older artists: Bruce Springsteen, Fish actually commands like over $200 a ticket. The highest grossing tour before Taylor Swift just shatters the record was Elton John's Goodbye to Yellow Brick Road. So it's interesting that like all these other artists that command that kind of price are doing so because of like nostalgia or this might be the last time I see them. So I'm willing to pay this price. Taylor Swift is in her 30s, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think so. Like later 30s. Not even in her 40s yet. But this much fanfare, I mean, I, I've just seen so many people like out of the woodwork just be like, yeah, I'm going to see Taylor Swift. She's only 33, Frank. 33 years old. God. Wild. It's nuts. I, I knew someone, she was here in Chicago, I think a month or two ago on the same tour and people were paying, I think it was like upwards of 350 to sit in like nosebleed 300s at Soldier Field. And she was here yeah. like all weekend. So she was selling that out all, it's just nuts to think about. I, I would pay 350 to sit like a hundred level, you know, close front row, whatever to like a few artists that I really, really like, let alone that much just to, you know, be there for the moment or whatever. It's, it's, she's got dedication from her fans. I got to give it to her. You bet, man. So this airs tour, it, it consists of 52 U.S. dates uh, and an additional 54 international for a total of 106 shows worldwide. The tour will not end until next summer in London. Each one of these shows, at least in the United States, grosses about $10 million. And if you break down the numbers, uh, about 50% of that goes to Taylor herself. So the stadium, say she's performing at SoFi Stadium, uh, SoFi would take about two to $3 million from that $10 million gross. Uh, and then she has to pay her staging costs and promoters and, and you know everything that it costs to put on the production which takes about half of the remaining $7 million. So every time she steps on the stage and strums that guitar, she gets paid about $3.5 million profit. Good for her, man. Pretty good. I saw Drake Pretty just good. made $5 million for a couple of shows he did uh, back to back to back in you said Drizzy? Yeah, maybe D.C. it was or some, somewhere East Coast-ish made a killing, man. It's like the first time in hip-hop it's happened, apparently. You're also seeing like such a 
welcoming back to shows like after people I know we're like somewhat removed from COVID, but like, you know, these are the these are kind of some of the first like big ass tours post COVID. And you're you're seeing just some of that like fuck yeah, let's get back to live music, you know, out of the house, big crowd, that kind of thing. Like maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely interesting. And there's also like an interesting juxtaposition between these giant shows that gross a ton of money for artists that are established and also like the threat of AI music mm-hmm. and just generally artists not being able to profit off of their work like they used to. Uh, the exception being these giant global superstars like Taylor Swift, Drake. I wonder how long that lasts for. Yeah. Will there ever be like another Taylor Swift or another Drake? I mean, I got to imagine so, but I have no idea. Yeah, right. It, it's gonna. It's getting into gray area. I think so. Like as long as they don't let AI into, you know, Grammys and all these other award ceremonies and like charts, you know, like that kind of thing. As long as they keep that separate, I think there'll always be someone. I don't know to this level, though. That's That's a really good point. Really good point. And it's it's also crazy to hear that she's making that much money because the way these artists get paid is kind of all came out during the whole thing with Live Nation Ticketmaster started with this tour. Like that whole, the thing that went to Congress and everything started with her pre-sale for this tour. And all the artists, like they set the cap at how much, like what seats will be set at, at what. And, and once they set that cap, obviously the tickets sell. And then it's just up to the resale market, places like Vivid Seats, Live Nation, all these other places to then, you know, people can sell them themselves. And that's where you're seeing these poachers and scalpers go and charge 350 to sit in the nosebleeds. Like, I think mm-hmm. those seats are actually like 100 bucks as far as Taylor Swift's concerned. She's making, you said 50%, so she's getting 50 bucks off that ticket. But then someone can go and flip that shit for 350 whatever plus and make all that profit. It, it's It's crazy. And to me, like, I I would hope that if we're going to keep seeing concerts like this, and it's really about, like, the concert and and the artists and the fans connecting, that they find a way through these secondhand websites to at least limit that. Like, I understand wanting to make some kind of a profit for turning a ticket, but when you're going and selling a ticket for three, four hundred percent, just because you got in line first or you you made an AI or a bot to go on and buy 50 tickets as soon as they went on sale, that's a big problem. And I I think if we're going to expect to see these large format concerts continue, they've got to get that in rain and check or it, it doesn't make any sense for, for casual fans to even go. But right. <laughs> I guess if people are paying it, it all makes, right. if it makes dollars, it makes sense. So I don't know. That's just wishful thinking. No. Yeah, I agree. That's the ultimate litmus test, right? People are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. People are buying it. I think one of the most badass things I've seen in music or just in business in general is Taylor Swift re-recording her albums yeah. So that the person who owns the masters and, and wouldn't release his hold on them basically has no power now. To give you some background, I'm not sure how many people are even well-versed in this, but some guy, I don't even know, know his name, bought the masters of Taylor Swift's recording. Basically, he owns those recordings. Even though she wrote the music and recorded the music and performed the music and put out the albums and it's her name, she doesn't own the master. I guess, would you would you liken that, Al, to like, uh, what was that fad? Those uh, planking? No, no. Like, like, what were those things you could buy uh, for with uh, with Bitcoin? Like the NFTs? Yeah. Like, would, would you would you liken it to like an EFT? Somewhat, somewhat. With with music, the way it works is for any song that you hear released, there's a 50-50 split between songwriting credit and publishing credit. And when you own a majority of those, you own like the master to the thing. But really it's the publishing that people give a fuck about because that's what you make money off of. That's how you hear Taylor Swift commercial or music in a commercial because whoever owns that publishing has the rights to distribute it however they want and profit off it however they want. 
the songwriter will still make credit. And I think on a lot of Taylor's music, she is a songwriter, but there's also other people always listed like with big artists like this, they, they need a, a camp of people. So that like those profits get diluted. But then once you own the publishing, you own everything you really need to make the money with that thing. And you can do whatever the fuck you want. That's why uh, people like Led Zeppelin have held out for so long and you really never hear their music in commercials because they own those masters and they refuse to, to distribute them that way. They don't want to, their music already overplayed enough. They don't want to c continue to dilute their legacy. Uh, so yeah, when someone swipes in and, and grabs all her masters, they really control her music for always. And in some cases, like they can even take the songwriting credit and she'll like, you'll see no money. Like I think it was, uh, ah, the dream, you know who the dream is? Songwriter for Kanye, like so much hip hop and R&B music, you'd, you'd be blown away. He sold the masters to all of his music and he, he got a huge lump sum up front and he'll never see a dime off any of the music he wrote for the last 20 years ever again. So there, there are there are different ways to structure it. Such a bizarre industry. It is, it is. It also helps more people get paid better though. Like I, I see why they split it between the publishing and the songwriting. Because yeah, you can write a great song, but if no one ever hears it, it's a matter. Yeah, what's it matter in the scope of the music business? Right. So it makes sense that you'd incentivize incentivize both parties, i.e. the artist and then how it used to be like the record label who usually is who owns most of the masters to to go out and distribute and, and make this person a star as they have with Taylor. I wonder though, as we saw this shit with Marvin Gaye and Ed Sheeran recently, like how how is she able to do that legally? It, it must be because she's like the the songwriter on the on the track. But how is she able to like reproduce that song, although different? It is still like the same song in essence without getting sued. I, I'm really curious. I don't know the details behind it, but obviously it's on the up and up because I think she just did it for the third time. Like she re-recorded either second or third album of her mm -hmm. of her own, calling it Taylor's version. And I, I just think it's so badass. Like It's genius because she probably got paid for the original album that she, she dropped on whatever her record label is. I'm sure she gets at least a cut, a percentage of sales, even if she doesn't own the master's. And then this lets her take those same songs that she wrote and make 100% of the profit. Like it's genius, mm -hmm. especially with the fan base that she has. She's and that's the key. She has a rabid fan base. And so when she puts it mm -hmm. out, her fan base is going to support her and right. play this version of her songs versus the version that she doesn't own. I, I just, it's <laughs> incredible. It's the most, one of the most badass things I've ever heard. Yeah. It would be, it would be like, uh, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to like even make a comparison for anybody else's job who isn't an artist who doesn't make you know i could write a report that makes my company three billion three million dollars right and i get a cut off of that but i'm i'm, I'm a paid employee it's my job to do that and if I, it happens to do well then great then i get promoted or whatever but i don't own sole responsibility of that work because i'm a paid employee taylor swift like every other musician works for themselves mm -hmm. bizarre industry but 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 really badass move by taylor good for her yeah gotta respect it I don't think I'm going to pay that money to go see her tour, though. I can tell you that much. No. Take nothing against her. Like I said, I think she's incredibly talented. Just not for me. And that's okay. Um, did you know that we've been lied to our entire lives? <laughs> yes. <laughs> about everything. That's our show. Um, no, no, no. About maps. Uh, how so? Yeah, I've, I've actually was looking at something recently about state borders concerning this, but go ahead. No, no, no. This has nothing to do with state borders. It has everything to do with, like, the map that we've always looked at, the globe, everything. The proportions okay. of the map that we know are so distorted. And I, I remember seeing something on Twitter and I saved it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I watched an episode of The West Wing. And in this episode, it's, it's this tradition that they hold that one day a year, they let in other agencies 
that would otherwise have absolutely no chance of, of speaking to anybody close to the president. And they, they allow them a meeting. And each one of the president's staff takes a meeting with a different agency. And they, they hear him out. Whether anything comes of it or not, who knows? But they just hear him out. And it's really cool. It's a really cool idea in the show. And so these people come on and they're like, hey, uh, the maps are wrong. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, the, the maps are wrong. They're like, this is the map that you've always known. And now here is the actual size of each individual country. And I'm going to show you a video right now that that kind of describes what I'm talking about. This piece, this piece off here and put it over here. And now you see the United States is no longer in the middle of the map. Right. Now, I did this with a major record company in New York City, I think in 1970. And an older man stood up in the back of the room and said, now, Elliot, you've gone too far. I said, what's your problem? You can't do that with the map. I said, well, actually, you can. He said, no, the United States isn't in the middle of the map anymore. I said, the United States never was in the middle of the map. You need to realize this depends on how you draw your map. And then I pointed this little background to him. South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. Even though it doesn't really look like it. No, it is. <laughs> South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. It's crazy. Now, according to your social studies teachers, what is the equator? Halfway between the North Pole and the South Pole on this map would be right about here. Right. And that means that Iowa has a semi-tropical climate. <laughs> well, you've been in Minnesota in the wintertime. I've been in Iowa, too. It's definitely you know, that's, it doesn't have a tropical climate. So you have to then introduce a real version of the map of the world. This is the, the sizes on this map are right. The shapes are distorted. Look at Greenland on this map. Right there. See it? Yeah, it's really tiny. See how small that is? Right. Look at it on the Mercator projection. So why do they do that? I don't understand. Why? Because the Pope commissioned Mercator to map, to make a map that shows the spread of Christianity. So all the countries in which there are predominantly white people are larger than those in the southern part of the, of the world. Halfway between the North Pole and South Pole. I have heard that before with how big like Africa is. And then, yeah, the Greenland example. Fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely like zero representation of what the actual map really looks like. In the show I was watching, they actually took it a step further and they said, uh, what if the North Pole was actually the South Pole? And like, what are you talking about? Go, well, it's just how you draw the map. And they just flipped it upside down. <laughs> like, look, like no, there's, no, yeah. there's like nothing that says that the North Pole is the North Pole and the South Pole is the South Pole. It's just how mm. we've oriented ourselves to the way that the globe looks. And I, you know, I, I guess for simplicity's sake, that makes sense and it's easy to it's easy to, to digest. But I never knew we could be looking at the map and it was a completely like distorted representation of what actually is going on. I was yeah, that's a distorted representation. I, I saw recently. How, how many sides does Colorado have? Sides in your estimations? Mm-hmm. Four. That's what a perfectly normal person would think. Actually, has six hundred and ninety-seven sides uh, because when the nineteenth century excavators were going through and doing the borders for all these new U.S. states as they were coming in. Uh, they didn't take into account the spherical shape of the earth and they were just going straight north basically to that was their their job go straight north to hit I think it's my Wyoming that's up there but they didn't take into account the curvature of the earth and realized this about, I think about a quarter of the way through so then they started doing like little jaunts of like 500 feet to try to get back to what they thought was the pole and as a result it has 697 sides which makes, the shape of this state, a hexa, hecta, ania, kanta, chi, heptagon. <laughs> so just a little fun there. That is not something to uh, lie to people. It is, it is more a 
just a large mistake that was made by. Well, because if you look at the map, it's it looks like it's just four sides. Uh huh. But that whole west coast is just a little junts in and out. Some as much as three thousand feet. But that's pretty funny. Isn't that wild? I never knew that before. But that's that's not a lie. That's just a mistake. So humans have made mistakes for centuries and will continue to do so. There's anything right? I guess there's nothing wrong with the way that it looks now. The map, right? Like like does it do a disservice to anybody? I don't know. But it just seems it just seems odd that that's how it's that's how it's presented. That's how it's, and it makes makes me wonder. Like, do other countries have different maps? Mm. Do other countries understand the globe differently? I gotta imagine so. If, the, if there's enough so. people in the United States that can believe that the Earth is flat, then I'm sure there are people outside of the United States that can believe that the globe looks different. That's very interesting. And it all comes back to religion, man. They're I know. Into us. What the heck? <laughs> One more kind of off, oddball story before we get into the meat and potatoes. Doctors had put a genetically modified pig kidney into a brain-dead person, and that pig kidney has worked for 32 days and counting. Wow. That's a good way to test that. That's right. Genius. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, it's kind of it's kind of crude, but I mean, if you're going to test it, right, and, and somebody wants the legacy of their loved one to be of something of great importance, donate their still warm body to science. I think that would be cool. I would sign that paper. Are you an organ donor, Frank? I am. You betcha. It's, it's a great thing. I Same here. Same here. Yeah. But I, I know I know a gentleman whose job it is to do the excavating once once someone passes. Oh, really? It sounds crazy. Yeah, dude, they hollow you out. You're empty. Mm-hmm. And they like basically stuff you so that you can be buried. But it's like, whew, it's, I, you're saving life. With every single one of those organs, you're saving somebody's life. It's like, why wouldn't you do that? But it's it's just weird to think. I mean, you don't need that vessel anymore once you've, you've left this earth. But it is weird to just think about everything that is you being hollowed out and dispersed across the world. There is a gentleman from Florida who part of his biological vessel still lives on in my mother. Really? Yeah. Oh, what what she get? Can you can you share or is that a kidney and liver transplant? Wow. Oh, from the same person? Mm-hmm. Wow. Insane. Yeah, see? Insane. That's amazing. I know. It's incredible. It's like that so, so cool. The fact that we we might be able to do it with other animals, I think, is cool too, because there's definitely not not enough to go around. Mm-hmm. My mom had to go to Florida actually to get these transplants because California would have would have taken too long. Oh. Uh. A one Dr. Robert Montgomery and colleagues at New York University Lagone Health Center in New York City transplanted the pig kidney into 57-year-old Maurice Miller on July 14th. The results, which haven't been published, might provide researchers with data to support clinical trials testing animal-to-human transplants. The same researchers had previously put uh, pig hearts in humans for, and that, that worked up to 72 hours. I think they stopped it at 72 hours. But there is, I mean, I, there, there are people that kind of raise some ethical and scientific questions. For instance, extending the length of studies delays burial and closure for families. Let's say you signed a paper that said, I would like my body to be donated to science. How, however it is that that might manifest itself. And you and you and your wife were both on board with that. So that's a really good thing to do. And then tragically, you go brain dead. <laughs> and you and your wife were really the only ones with the, with knowledge of that agreement. And so your family, knowing that you're brain dead, has to wait an extra three months to bury you. That could, that could be tough. I could see that. Yeah. That could be tough. Yeah, I could definitely see that. The first thing I thought about when I when you just told me the story is, what does PETA think about this? Because it's like, 
I guess you're you're putting like, hey, we should treat animals better because we're gonna, you know, maybe put their organs in humans someday. But I just went to their site and they have a specific story on this story about the the. Pig. Oh, really? Peter does. Yeah, and they said that animal to human transplants are unethical, dangerous, and a tremendous waste of resources that could be used to fund research that might actually help humans. I mean, it sounds like this would help humans from what I'm from what they're finding initially, at least. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you're basically we already raise hum, or raise animals to slaughter them for our own food, and now we're harvesting their organs. It's a little. I can see how it could be perceived as cruel, and it, it, this has got to be increasingly harder to do in like today's society and world with how people are. But yeah, it makes sense to me, man. It's like well, I'm not going to let someone die on a list, you know, for a heart transplant because they can't find a heart. Yeah. As opposed to letting, like sacrificing this pig. Like who gives a fuck about that pig? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, right. Like if you're going to eat, maybe if you're not eating, but if you're going to eat bacon, you can't, you can't also be like, oh, you can't take that pig's liver. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, one thing that's interesting here that, that I, I think will, will probably, that should at least like rate, uh, raise a, a few more eyebrows uh, than, than just using the, the organ of, a, of an animal is that pig cells contain a sugar molecule that triggers the human immune system to attack the organs, right? To, to essentially to reject it altogether. Mm. So scientists have to use CRISPR to modify the gene sequence in the pig DNA and the human DNA so that there isn't this rejection. And I am far too stupid to understand at a scientific level how this works. Mm-hmm. But it just in like in my gut, that is a bad idea. That's a terrible. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> like that's not a good thing. Like like we, I I I feel like you can get to the edge of playing God, and then once you actually start to like modify genes, I don't know, man. That shit to me just seems like like you don't have control of what happens after that. Right, or like what you could cause, like disease wise, like or you don't any, know, like anything. You know, like yeah. you're, you're you're essentially taking a, a, a DNA strand and you're you're splicing it and you're adding human genes to a pig to pig dna I, it, maybe maybe it's just in my head that that i think that's a bad idea or that i've seen too much twilight zone or black mirror it sounds like a premise to a sci-fi movie uh, yeah. yeah 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 right but i just like i don't know man that's just kind of odd it's odd that you have to do that in order for it to make it happen mm-hmm. hmm. interesting i will take this opportunity though to tell everyone to go and donate blood now People need it. I'm I'm O negative, so I get harassed by the blood people all the time. But I actually enjoy going in there and giving the donation every every few weeks or whatnot. But definitely uh, is one small way you can help people. So that is my recommendation of the day. This is true. It's actually good for you. Like it, like other than you being a good person and donating blood, it's actually good. There 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 are studies and theories that women live longer because they shed their blood hmm. on a regular basis, where uh, men don't do that. Wow, that's fucking crazy i never thought about that right uh but if you ah. deplete if you deplete your 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 blood uh, uh stock uh then your body's forced to regenerate new blood cells and there are studies and theories that believe that that is a good thing on the whole so other than it being a uh you know a, a decent thing to do for humanity we always need more blood it's probably to your health benefit to get it done too you burn calories when your body's remaking those red blood cells so you oh. also can lose weight by donating Get skinny, donate blood. <laughs> yeah. oh, all right, let's get to the the meat and potatoes. I guess so. Politics. Donald politics, Trump has been politics. indicted by a grand jury in Georgia. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, he's so annoying. I've heard you say that three times before. I have said that three times before in different 
territories. Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and other Trump allies have been charged with operating a criminal enterprise that sought to overturn Joe Biden's electoral victory in Georgia, making it the fourth time the former president has been indicted this year and deepening his legal woes ahead of the 2024 election. There were 19 people in total charged with the indictment, including former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and legal advisor Sidney Powell. Taken together, the Georgia charges allege a sweeping criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election result and undermine U.S. democracy. They described calls, emails, and other efforts to allegedly press state and federal officials into backing the effort to find votes. Trump lacked to win or assert that he was victorious both in Georgia and other states he lost. It stems off of a phone call he made to some Georgia electors where he's like, hey, I just need to find X amount of votes, right? And all you hear is that clip that's being played over in the media time and time again. He's not saying, hey, I need you to go in the basement and find 4,000 votes for me. Like legit, not what he was saying. He was saying, hey, they, I've seen fishy stuff going on in Georgia. Everybody's seen fishy stuff going on in Georgia. I only need this amount of votes to win. And I'm saying, I think that there are things that have happened that aren't legit in this election. And so I want, you know, I wanna go through the processes to find out, you know, were these votes counted legally? Were these votes, should these votes have been nullified? this, that, and the other. I'm not denying that he was a man desperate to retain power, but to say that there was a criminal enterprise that wanted to overturn the 2020 election is a giant leap from what actually happened. But that's what he's charged with. And that, to me, is, it's concerning on a number of levels, I think. What's more 2023 than Donald Trump and Young Thug being arrested <laughs> in the same state for the same crime. This one seems like one of the bigger stretches to me. Seems like he's going to have a lot of hurdles to jump through. Like, and I'm sure that that's the point. But I, it, man, it's just, I, I don't understand how you liken the two. Like Thug is accused of murder and drug trafficking and all these other things. And there's still a chance that he might get out. And then they bring a charge like this against Trump. It's like, that can't stick. Like there's no way it's going to stick. This dude's not a like a mafia leader vote swayer guy he was like he honestly was just trying to hold on to power like you said and trying to find any avenue he could to do that in an election he thought was rigged fraud whatever but to liken it to a rico case is just a stretch to me and then it, it also came out this week that the lady that's leading that rico chase against thug and trump now was dating smashing uh one of the high members in ysl and in, in young thug's crime organization as, as she's pursuing it. I had heard that. And that might fall apart based on that right there. It just might. The DA's office has alleged that since Young Thug and the members of YSL and YFN crews had been locked up, murders in Atlanta have gone down 35%. Oh my God. That is crazy. Correlation is not causation. <sighs> the murder rate could have gone down by 35% for any number of reasons, but it is interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting that that's the uh, the catalyst there. Or at least that's how we're looking at it. I don't know. I thought that was that was pretty interesting. To me, this is political assassination in broad daylight. That's how I see this. I can't see it any other way. Desperation from one side for sure. You know, trying to find anything that you know, throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks. Right. And yet, the man that they're doing this to currently leads the Republican primaries at a rate of uh, what I'm seeing. These are real-time results, 53.7% as of today. And his, the next closest person is Rod DeSantis at 147 His core voters aren't being 
shook by this. There might be some fringe voters that maybe sway on this, but it, it's like, I think a lot of people are seeing like the ineffectiveness of the current regime and and like the political assassination that they're trying to do to this guy. And I don't think that that many people will actually be swayed when it comes time to vote. And if the Democrats actually choose to run with Biden, I think I think it's on the wall, bro. I don't I don't think Trump has any problem beating them at all. Like yeah. even with four indictments open or whatever against him, like it's it's wild. Unless he runs out of money, right? I think it only strengthens yeah, him. I don't know. One one guy that I've kind of been paying attention to more, I'm just kind of sick of all the, the Trump shit, and it looks like he's going to be the nomination. I think that, I mean, unless he gets, like, arrested, like, at this point, it's, like, kind of the writing's on the wall for the Republicans. I, so I, it really starts to shift focus to, you know, vice president maybe who is, who's going to be in that cabinet. And one guy that's really caught my attention over the past weeks is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Are you familiar with this guy? Yeah, I know of him. Young Younger guy. Mm-hmm. He's like new on the scene. Uh, I think he's 38. Yeah, so very he's young. Pretty young. Yeah, very young in American politics. But I've I've heard some clips. I want to play it for you. So a couple of them go a little long, but just like his his thought process on stuff, the way he talks and and explains himself. Uh, one thing I saw mentioned is he thinks that in these open forums and these debates that there should be the teleprompter should be cut off and it should actually be what the person thinks, no being fed any information, any facts, any bullshit, which I couldn't agree with more. Look, and it's leaning, Trump's even hinting that this is probably going to be his guy for vice president. Uh, and and th- he's he's gaining in the polls quickly. Like like I said, DeSantis has, uh, he's in second right now with 14.7 and Ramaswamy already has 7% and that number keeps on rising as you look at like these polls, it kind of just is trending upwards. So I wanted to play you a couple of clips of his and and kind of just get your opinion on him here. While you're pulling that up, just a, you know, a quick thought on what's going on with Trump right now. I think I think one of the, the things that we've, as a society, been one of our high crimes is that we've accepted the story that was presented to us from day one about Trump or about January 6th or about any of the things that he's accused of. I think that's the only way that you can get four indictments on a former president like this and not lose the entire political base for like like such weak crimes. Anyway, you got it ready? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Here we go. Do you think it's normal to be gay? And you have any problem with people being gay? And then- No, I do not have a problem. religious basis, et cetera, no problem. Yeah. So then the yeah. second- Of course. Talking about trans, I heard you on Meet the Press say that trans was a mental disorder. Which yeah, you know, it was in the DSM four, I guess, or whatever the latest one was, five, just up think, to a, you know, yeah. yeah, just to a couple of years ago, and now it's changed. So maybe explain why you think differently about those two things. One, you think it's fine to be gay, but you think it's a mental disorder in all likelihood if people want to transition. Yeah. So uh, you know, I want to leave you with a good sense of where I'm at on on these issues, right? So I think it's at least curious that when you take the LGBTQIA plus value set and and, and vision for what the movement stands for, it does require you to adopt simultaneously conflicting beliefs at once, right? The gay rights movement was predicated on the idea, which I'm quite sympathetic to, that the sex of the person that you're attracted to is hardwired on the day you're born. But now with the T component of that same movement that now says your own gender is completely fluid over the course of your own life. And I think if we're not going to observe the tension between these two observations, I think that we're purposefully having our heads stuck in the sand. I think what's happening in many cases is somebody who claims to be trans is really just gay. And part of what we're saying is it's not okay to be gay. So to answer your first question, part of what the trans movement is effectively telling people is that it's not okay to be gay. You know who else says that? Iran. Actually, 
Iran is a nation that if you are gay, they force you to undergo gender conversion surgery. It's not that different That's a small than what's baked into the ideological premise of much of the trans movement here. And so I, I just want you to come from the fact there's a lot of people in the GOP who will offer surface level stuff here. I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Gender dysphoria is what I've said is a mental health disorder. I've been very precise. Let's take the intersex case out of it. Kleinfelter syndrome, Jacobs syndrome. Right, Kleinfelter is XXY. Jacob syndrome is XYY. These are ultra rare. They exist. They are real. For the purpose of our discussion, though it's under the broad trans umbrella, I'm going to take that out of it because that's not a mental health disorder. That's a genetic reality. But now let's go back to the conflicting supposition. There's no gay gene, yet the sex of the person you're attracted to, we accept for civil rights purposes, is heart riot on the day you're born. Yet there are X and Y chromosomes, and yet your own biological sex slash gender is now completely fluid over the course of your life. There's a tension there. And I think that tension is best explained by the way we've treated it for most of our national history, for most of our medical history, all the way through actually, I think the DSM-5, not just the four, as a mental health condition. And I think the compassionate thing to do is not to affirm, especially when it's a kid, to affirm a kid's confusion. I think the compassionate thing to do is to recognize that there's some other psychological struggle manifesting itself in this form and it is cruel to affirm that kid's confusion. I, I'm a two young and woman. And by affirm, Chloe you mean surgery Katie. or hormone surgery, therapy. Surgery, hormone therapy, exactly. I mean, so I you would limit that you. to when you're an old, adult, 18 years 18. old? Yes. And you would ban two parents? Women I met here in New Hampshire, literally yeah. like where I am right now. Yeah. Who are in their 20s that badly regret undergoing double mastectomies. One of them underwent a hysterectomy. Both of them underwent puberty blockers. So even if the parents and doctors and they regret, agreed with it, you would say they can't make that decision for the child? Just like you can't get a tattoo before the age of 18 in most, what we say is a, a decision that you are likely to regret many, in many cases, at least likely to regret later in life. We let you make that decision as an adult. And I do believe we live in a free society. As an adult, you're free to identify how you want, free to wear what you want, but kids aren't the same as adults. And even among adults, there's a, a difference between living your life freely and expecting that everybody else changes their linguistic and traditional understandings in sports and traditional understandings in locker rooms and traditional understandings in language. That's a difference. And so I don't believe in a tyranny of the majority, but I don't believe in a tyranny of the minority either. So that that's that's one thing I saw. And I, I like the way he describes it. Some of the things, like when he likens it to Iran, that, that's a stretch to me a little bit. But I think he was making some, some very solid points. And then I saw him talk uh, recently about how he would approach voting age for a plethora of reasons. And, and I, I think that if you look at it from this way, like it makes more sense on how to approach it instead of just maybe a lot of people that are fed a lot of shit from like our school systems and think one way coming out of school, you know, and maybe that can sway elections. I don't know. But like the way that we should approach the voting age policy, I love what he says here. Okay. So you want to bring a new generation into politics. That's a very refreshing um, approach. And yet... One of your key campaign pillars is raising the voting age to 25 with a civics test or military service in order to maintain the 18, age 18 voting age. So my premise is this. Every young kid who graduates from high school should be able to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. Amen. At the age of 18, Let's attach civic duties to civic privileges. And I say that minimal duty is either knowing something about the country, the exact same things an immigrant has to know, or else 
serve the country in some minimal way, first responder role or in the military. Part of reaching young people isn't just pandering by telling them what in the short term they want to hear, satisfying their moral hunger by saying, going, you know, what the, what the left says, go to Ben and Jerry's and order a cup of ice cream with some social justice sprinkles on the side. No, that's not how we satisfy the hunger for purpose and meaning. I think the revival of actual civic duty is a big part of how we feed that hunger for purpose. Citizenship means something to me. And if we make it mean something to young Americans, they'll be much less drawn to secular cults from wokeism to climatism than they are today because they actually believe that the fact that they're a citizen of the United States of America actually means something to them. And it will unite the country in the process. I love that. I love that that viewpoint of it, man. I, I, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I was curious what you thought about about both of those comments of his. I'll take that voting aid one first. I get where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's like a bad idea, but something rubs me the wrong way about it. Like, for example, if we didn't let women vote, then Democrats would never win another election, right? Women in, in particular are the highest voting block of the Democratic Party. Moreover, women who are 45 years and younger with no children almost exclusively vote Democrat. So like everybody who attends a Taylor Swift concert, for example, <laughs> is a Democratic <laughs> voter. If we didn't let those people vote, the Democrats would never win another. That's essentially what he's saying. If we didn't let dumb 18-year-olds vote, the Democrats would never win another election. That it, it coded word is what he's saying. I don't think it's a bad idea that that kids need to, to have some sort of civic responsibility or civic duty about them. And I do think that there are far too many stupid, stupid children voting in elections that are just kind of checking a box because of emotion or whatever. They're, they're woefully uninformed of, of, of the election uh, that they're voting in or the candidate or anything really uh, of the consequence of their vote. But like, good luck. I mean, good luck trying to change that. I, yeah. Well, and he's not saying don't let them vote. He's just saying they need to pass the same test that like an immigrant would pass if they want to vote, which, you know, do you really understand anything about your country or are you just voting with, you know, with passion or with, you know, a specific ideal in mind instead of the bigger picture? And then what's to I, stop like a, dumb, a dumb 28-year-old or a dumb 45-year-old? What's to, like, like... No, nothing at many, that point. Nothing at that point. That's yeah. true. How many how many adults can pass a civic test? I, I get what he's saying. Start at the bottom. If you if you want to vote at eighteen, you have to know that. But you know that's shaky ground to me. That like that that can turn into a lot of other things. I think. Okay. Uh, so how do you feel about his views on the LGBTQ? Yeah, whatever. I, 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 I honestly I could give a shit less. You because to me it's just it's just words. Yeah. When, what is he going to do when he's in a position of power and he has an opportunity to actually do something to protect children? Is he going to take it? I don't know. Donald Trump had this House and the Senate and two weeks into his presidency, he told America he was not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton for the crimes that she's committed against the United States. Pretty much what he ran on, too. Yeah. He had full power. He could do whatever he wanted. And now look at him. He's indicted four times. I don't like these messages to me. It's just words. I don't care what anybody says about LGBTQ rights or about trans and fuck. He literally said, hey, you know who else trans people are like the Iranian government? Like, what the fuck, dude? Weirdo. I don't know. I like him. I like a lot of the things he says. I I just what are you going to do when you have power? The only person that's running for president right now who has shown me that they will actually do something constructive when they have power is Ron DeSantis. But he's as big of a goober as anybody. Mm -hmm. Trump, 
had power. What did he do with it? I'm not, the cards are stacked against I mean, him, but he had power. He did nothing with it. Turn the economy around. That's not a small fa- eh, feat. He tweeted. That's what he did. He tweeted. <laughs> he could have done a lot. He could have done a lot, and he was too scared to piss people off. Nobody was ever afraid of Donald Trump. But people are afraid of Joe Biden because it's not Joe Biden. It's not, it's his administration because they're willing to use raw power against their political opponents. And they've shown it to us four times. They are not scared to take raw power and use it. It's the only thing that matters to the Democratic Party is raw power. And they have it and they use it. So if a Republican's going to run for president and they get in power, are they going to use it? Are they going to use it? That's all I care about. True. I mean, I just like to see someone who's not like a career politician, let alone a politician at all. This guy has no like political background as far as that's concerned. So I, I, I think it gives you some of the refreshing viewpoints of like someone that like of a Trump that has, is not entrenched in very much at all. I mean, I'm sure through corporate world, he's somewhat entrenched, but I, I, it's just refreshing. I, I, when I hear him speak, I could play you clip after clip. I, I like the way he, he's composed. He, he explains his viewpoints well, which makes me think that his policies would be thought out. Not that, he, I mean, no politician's gonna go through with everything that they say, but I, I, man, I just, I think he's a refreshing breath of air. And I, I, we're starting to see that reflected in the polls as he keeps climbing and Trump's gone on record a couple of times, like praising this guy and saying that he's looking, you know, he hasn't obviously said who his person would be, but he's high on his list. So he, he's doing something right, man. Ohioan as well. He's he, the way he's run his campaign, at, at, at least up to this point, has, has been he's been doing the right things, saying the right things, uh, responding to reacting to um, events in the news and political events in the way that you would hope somebody in his position would. Right. Uh, juxtapose that from Ron DeSantis, who's just basically flubbed every opportunity. He's just he's just been the biggest goober in the world uh, dur- during his run for yeah. presidency. But he has results to stand on from what he's done in Florida. I'll give him that. He's the only politician worth his salt that's running for president right now. That's proven that he's he's willing to to protect people's freedoms. He's the only one. Have any of them done this, though, because I can't see Trump, Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden doing what this man did recently at the Iowa State Fair. He opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's joking how everybody's joking now. The clock's run out. Time's up. Over plow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes that. He's one of us. Oh, he's one of us, man. He's one of us. Oh, so I, God, I don't know. crawl on my skin. <laughs> I was like, that's just going to give you fuel for your for your uh, argument there. But I saw that clip. It was too good to not share with you. But I, I don't know. I just like younger people getting involved in politics, especially not career politicians, man. I, uh, it's refreshing, at least. Well, a lot of people thought the same way about Barack Obama. Uh, um, and there was a very long-form article written in Tablet Magazine uh, earlier this month by uh, David Samuels. And it's like one part editorial, one part interview with David Garrow, who is the uh, preeminent biographer of Barack Obama uh, and and also uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, And and this article, I I reckon if you you get a chance, it's probably going to take about 45 minutes to an hour to get through. It's really, really long, but it is fascinating and it really gives an interesting look into the president, the former president, Barack Obama, more so because it kind of lets you in on how tailored his image is, right? The Barack Obama we all know, the we all like, the one that we voted for president 
twice for uh, is more or less a completely fabricated person. Mm-hmm. And this article goes in depth. In it. And I, I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you some, some background into this article. So like I said, it starts off with some, some sort of you know, editorial about Obama. Uh, Tablet Magazine is a, uh, a, a, it's a Jewish-run magazine. And so, so the, 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 the focus, at least in the editorial part, uh, sort of has to do with Barack Obama and his, uh, and his views or his attitude towards the Jewish people and Israel. In his, in his time as president and before. And it talks about an uh, a ex-girlfriend that he had. And when he was dating this woman, whose name was Sheila Miyoshi Yeager, they broke up after an explosive fight. And in his memoir, Dreams Up From My Father, uh, he recounts this situation. And the way he recounts it is that he was becoming more of a, becoming more in tuned with his black self and that this woman just couldn't uh couldn't keep up with it mm-hmm. is his self-identification as a black man right but the author of this this article actually found this this woman sheila uh miyoshi Yeager, and she says no actually it had nothing to do with that at all there was a big giant fight after obama attended a uh something like a rally or a speech by this gentleman who named steve coakley and he was he was talking about uh, just pure you know like nation of Islam kind of thing like you know that, that that can get really touchy with with Jewish people and they're, they're pretty anti-Semitic right the idea is that they're they're the real Jewish people and that the nation of Israel is just you know a bunch of frauds and um, that the Jews are the enemy this kind of thing, and the other and his ex-girlfriend was like I don't care that this person's black I don't care that they're proud to be black like this is like vehemently anti-Semitic, and I have a problem with you not having a problem with it. And Obama didn't have a problem. What, what's more interesting than, than that interaction in itself is that nobody, literally nobody, reached out to this woman for comment, for an interview, for anything. She had been left alone by the media entirely. The longtime girlfriend of the former President Barack Obama, live-in girlfriend, they lived in Chicago together. I mean, like somebody you would want to talk to if you wanted to get an understanding yeah. of who this person was before they were president. Nobody contacted her. And it, 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 that to me was just kind of jarring. And then it goes into this interview uh, with the biographer of Barack Obama, David Garrow. David Garrow read Barack Obama's memoir, Dreams from my father, and he surmises without a shadow of a doubt that it is the most historically inaccurate piece of fiction that ever existed. Moreover, his memoir doesn't mention his mother, doesn't mention his wife or his girlfriends or any women at all. It's basically just him. And so what this biographer had had, had basically come to the conclusion of is that at one point in Barack Obama's life, which was a tumultuous life as a youth, he was didn't really know his mother, definitely didn't know his father at all, was kind of shuttled from Indonesia to Hawaii to the mainland and back and forth. uh, But he was a really bright kid and and he got into Occidental. So at one point, Barack Obama decides that he is going to invent who he is. And he creates this memoir, Dreams of My Father. It was published in 1995. So he was what, 20 something? He's like not old in 1995, but he writes his memoir and he publishes it, right? And this becomes the cornerstone of Barack Obama. This becomes who he is as he begins to get into the political limelight. This biographer also makes this determination that because he had, he had also been the biographer of Martin Luther King. And he said, Martin Luther King had no choice but to be black. 
and Barack Obama chose it. I thought that was such an interesting comment. Think about his upbringing, raised by his mother and his grandparents. His father was the only you know, real uh, black presence in his life. His attachment to black, black lifestyle really was from his father, who was Nigerian, who left his family to go live in Africa when he was a kid. And so like, his attachment to black America, I mean, you know, other than the fact that his skin was black, I, you know, uh, his upbringing from, from by all accounts had nothing to do with uh, black culture at large, right? He, he wasn't raised in that, but he made it his choice to make that who he was. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just think it's interesting that, that, that his biographer said in, in, in no uncertain terms, he chose to be black. Yeah, that's interesting. And then this author raises another interesting question. Why is it that Barack Obama, after leaving the White House, bought a house in the Calorama neighborhood of Washington? He's the only other person, only other president in the history of the United States to remain in Washington after their presidency, other than Woodrow Wilson, who had to do so because of uh, medical issues. Hmm. So he buys this mansion in Washington, D.C. And, and originally, the explanation was that he wanted Sasha, his daughter, to remain in high school. When she graduates high school, I think in 2019. They still stay in Washington. She's already out of college. They're still in Washington. They still remain in Washington. He raises the question, why is, what is it that Barack Obama has to do with Washington now that he's out of the presidency? This author goes so far as to say that he's actually the one that is pulling some strings. He's still playing politics. He's even said to Stephen Colbert one time that if he could stay in his basement in his pajamas and have an earpiece to uh, a figurehead in the White House and kind of pull the strings, that he would want to do that because he finds the word fascinating. Mm. But the reason that he brings this up is because of the thousands of reporters that are in Washington, D.C., not a one of them is tracking the former president or who's coming in and out of his house or investigating why he's still in, in Washington. The whole point of this article is, why is it that we've taken at face value who Obama is and never investigated his claims of who he is, never investigated his memoir, never investigated this life that he's fabricated for himself, this image that he's fabricated to the American public. It talks about some love letters that he wrote to former girlfriends where he's described multiple fantasies with having sex with men. It's not saying it's a bad thing to be gay. I just think if that's, if that's public information, it's wild that we're just learning about that now. Like this isn't, this isn't a revelation that came out in 2023. This has been known for a long time. It's in the article at a, it's in, uh, the, the love letters live in a in, in Oberlin College, maybe not Oberlin. They live in some university where you can go and, and, and view them at any point. Yeah, it's Emory University in Atlanta. Yeah, I, could, I can give you his exact words from that letter if you'd like to hear them. Uh, please. In regard to homosexuality, I must say that I believe this is an attempt to remove oneself from the present, a refusal perhaps to perpetuate the endless farce of earthly life. You see, I make love to men daily, but in the imagination. My mind is androgynous to a great extent, and I hope to make it more so until I can think in terms of people, not women as opposed to men, but in returning to the body, I see that I have been made a man, and physically in life, I choose to accept that contingency. So it sounds like he jacks off <laughs> to gays. I, I don't know. I, who cares, I guess, but it's just weird. Yeah, in, in with all due respect to the former president, it seems that at the very least, he is far more complicated of, hu of a human being than we make him out to be. His brother confirmed this as well, Malik Obama, who they don't have a great relationship, so 
take it oh, with a grain no. of salt. But he confirmed that he is uh, basically like using his, what you kind of just said, like leaning into his heritage more, but not actually like doing anything really to help his roots and, and people like his brother Malik, who I guess has tried to run for office in, in Kenya uh, as well. But he's also now like a huge Trump guy. So it's like, take that obviously with a grain of salt. But he like confirmed the allegations that, that Barack was gay. Um, a lot of people talk about, and I, I don't know, I don't know how to approach it without even being racist, but a lot of people like say that Michelle Obama is actually, that her real name is Michael Obama and she was, you know, trans, yada, yada, yada. I don't, I don't claim that to be true or not, but there's a lot of people that do believe that. So that would add fuel to the fire for the argument that that is the case. If it is, I'd rather he would have just been upfront about it. Like it seems like a weird thing to hide. Well, I mean, think about when he came up, it was still taboo to be gay. I mean, he ran not so long yeah, ago on uh, the premise that marriage between a man and a woman, right? So you might think, oh, well, he's just a political grifter. Yeah, but more than that, more than that, it seems to me that that, that uh, Barack Obama uh, was focused solely on power. And the only way that he could get into power the way that he has was to tailor his image so well and protect his image so well that there's no doubt about who he is to the public at large. There was also a, a super, super interesting passage here. Uh, this is this is now uh, uh, when when, when uh, David Garrow, the the biographer of, of, of Obama, is being interviewed, and the interviewer asks, or, or, it's, it's it's more of a conversation than than, than an interview. But but he says, uh, I think uh, Barack in that winter of 08 and 09 realized that there was no way that his presidency could actually live up to the expectations. And I think even the fanboy journalist would acknowledge, under a little bit of pressure, that it ended up being an underwhelming underwhelming, disappointing presidency. It will, in the long run, be seen as a failed presidency because of international failures. And then David Garrow responds that there was also a moment in uh, in his book, The Audacity of Hope, which I wrote about in 2008, of a warning that Barack Obama gave. And he said, whatever happens next is on you people, not me. And I was like, that is on one hand mm. a stunningly honest and upfront thing to say. It's also a complete abandonment or rejection of the responsibility that he should be embracing in this moment. And I wouldn't even say I'm troubled by it. I was baffled by it. What does it mean? Who is this guy and where is this guy coming from? I went back and reread Dreams from My Father, which I bought when it came out. And I came upon the passage where his stepfather, Lolo Sotero, takes him out into the backyard in Indonesia and teaches him how to fight. And I said, wait a minute. I know the scene. Where is it from? And then I went back and found the battle royale scene in Invisible Man. So again, he would seem like fabricated everything about his life to rise to meteoric heights, sold the dream of hope and change to the American people. And then once he got it, he said, oh, shit, <laughs> I can't I can't deliver on this promise. I can't. I don't know, man, just so fascinating, like like moral, like more than these revelations and, 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 and learning more about uh, uh, Barack Obama, the man. My main question is, why don't we know this stuff already? Why is it that, yeah. where are we now? Eight years out of his presidency? Four, three, seven years, however many years out, out of when he left the White House? Even still, he, he's he got some sort of aura around him where, where there, there's not a, a major questioning uh, of this person. Why? Because he didn't, like, he didn't piss us off. He didn't offend us, you know? And just because he didn't offend us, we thank him for that. I don't know how politics works that much, man. I, uh, I'm not in it. Um, so I don't, I don't know the power that he holds or why he holds it, but he does hold it. And it just seems odd to me that there's not been a, a large scale investigation. Who is this man? Who did, you know, who did That's we true. love for, for, for so long? 
what were his failures? And in, in this article, they, they speak very in, uh, in depth about the Iran deal uh, and, and how his his number one goal in his second term was the Iran deal, was to get it passed. And I, Iran is an explicitly anti-Semitic nation. They make no bones about it. They hate Jews and they say they want to exterminate them. And Obama in his final send-off, outside of unmasking everybody in, in, in the Trump campaign, was to give Iran a pallet of cash. <laughs> Literally flew in a pallet of cash. Here you go, Iran, here's a pallet of cash. And mm. uh, and we still, you know, there was there was no real like, what is that? It just happened. So if you want to read this article, it is free. There is no paywall. It is at tabletmag.com. The article is called The Obama Factor. It is a fascinating read. I recommend it to everybody. Nice. Definitely going to check that out. All right. Well, that is our time. Appreciate y'all listening in. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can send us an email at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. Bummerdude dot media at gmail.com you can find us on instagram and tiktok at friendship news hour and on twitter at friendship nh please uh drop us a review be kind of cool rate yes. us if you like us even if you don't like us and you have something that you want to say to the contrary love to hear it. any feedback welcome uh we'll see you next time